welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzee. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzee. And in today's episode, I have a real treat for everyone. I loved this interview. I learned so much. So I want to give a big thank you to my guest, Dr. Peter Fabricant. Dr. Fabricant is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in pediatric and adolescent orthopedic surgery. His clinical expertise is in sports medicine and trauma surgery of the knee, hip, shoulder, elbow, and ankle. Dr. Fabricant completed his undergraduate studies at the University of Rochester, graduating with honors. He then attended Yale University School of Medicine. During his orthopedic surgery residency training at Hospital for Special Surgery, Dr. Fabricant earned a Master of Public Health degree from Columbia University and won several awards for excellence in patient care and innovation in patient safety. Following residency, Dr. Fabricant completed two fellowships, first in pediatric orthopedic surgery at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the second in sports medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. This afforded him the unique opportunity to study with renowned mentors at both institutions. He has cared for athletes and performers at all levels, including the Boston Ballet, Babson College, the International Skating Union World Figure Skating Championships, and the Boston Marathon. Dr. Fabricant is an accomplished researcher with over 100 peer-reviewed publications and 15 book chapters in circulation. Dr. Fabricant currently serves on several research and education committees in two international professional societies. He is a member of several pediatric orthopedic and sports medicine research consortiums through which he participates in cutting-edge multi-center clinical research studies with many of the most prolific researchers in pediatric and adolescent sports medicine. He is currently at the Hospital for Special Surgery. In this episode, we talk about how he determines if a patient should have a non-surgical treatment or surgical treatment following an ACL injury, rehab considerations for physial sparing ACL reconstruction surgery, setting realistic expectations for return to sport within the pediatric population. So I have to say, I always find it so interesting because oftentimes as the therapist, we're not in the physician's heads. We don't know why they choose one surgery over another. And Dr. Fabricant goes through all of this in regards to pediatric ACL injuries, which we are seeing more and more of these days. So a huge thank you to Dr. Peter Fabricant for coming on the podcast and enjoy. Hi, Dr. Fabricant. Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am so excited to have you on today to talk about pediatric ACL injuries. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so we're just going to kind of jump right into it because I know our time is limited here. So um, I, the reason that I wanted to do this is because I have a patient now with an ACL tear who had surgery and there seem to be a lot of questions in the rehab world around this population. So after a confirmed ACL tear in a pediatric patient, can you take us through your decision-making process as to whether or not that patient will have non-surgical treatment, which would mean you know, high-quality rehab, or ACL reconstruction plus rehab? Yeah, that's a really great question. So 
Um, historically, um, kids who still had, you know, growth remaining, who had open growth plates would kind of be held off until they were fully grown and then um, have an ACL reconstruction then. But we know that that's not the ideal uh, thing to do just because as they have an unstable knee, um, they can uh, develop cartilage and meniscus injuries that might not be repairable, you know, once they reach skeletal maturity. But there are um, a subset of patients who tend to do pretty well without surgery and with, with high quality rehab alone. And so typically when I'm evaluating a patient, um, the ones that, that tend to do well with high quality rehab alone um, would be uh, typically younger patients. So kids who are like under 14 years old and, and um, kids who have non, not a full thickness ACL tear. So like a partial ACL tear, like a 50% tear. And so kids who are young who have, you know, a 50% partial tear of their ACL, um, who have rotational stability of their knee, so uh, their knee doesn't kind of rotate um, during things like a pivot shift examination, those are kids who tend to do pretty well um, without surgery with a period of protected weight bearing, uh, bracing, and high quality rehab. When I'm seeing kids who have, who are either older uh, and or have a full thickness ACL tear with a really unstable knee, those tend to be the kids who um, we recommend surgery for, especially if they're involved in cutting or pivoting sports, jumping or landing sports, things like that. Um, so that's basically how I, how I approach it uh, in general. And so let's talk about the surgical procedures, because there are several surgical procedures one can do on a pediatric ACL patient, taking into account the growth plate damage. Uh, so can you, how do you decide which surgical procedure to do uh, in order to, uh, with this population? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question too. So I kind of think about these kids in three groups. And so they're kind of going, let's go from kind of oldest to youngest. So the oldest type of kid is the kid who either has growth plates that are closed or are near closed or they have um, very little growth remaining, let's say like less than six months of growth remaining. Those are kids that I, I kind of think about a little more like adults. But then within the within kind of specific to your question, the kids who have open growth plates, the question that I ask myself are kind of, are these kind of the youngest kids, like, a, like prepubescent kids? So those are kids with greater than two years of growth remaining. In girls, you know, those who haven't had started having their periods yet, um, in boys and girls, kids who really haven't had a growth spurt or who are kind of prepubescent. Um, there's kind of that group. And then there's the pubescent kids who are, you know, between, let's say, two years of growth remaining and six months of growth remaining. Um, you know, uh, in, in girls, let's say they've had their, their periods for a year. Um, in boys, uh, they, they may have um, already showed some signs of puberty or have hit their growth spurt. So those are kind of the pub pubescent kids, even though they have growth remaining. And so in, the, in, in thinking about an, uh, a reconstruction technique, I try to figure out, are they in the prepubescent group or the pubescent group? And then there are a couple of different described surgical procedures um, in each, but in broad generalities, the prepubescent groups, you, you need to really avoid the growth plate um, completely. And so that can be done either with techniques where you drill you do drill tunnels in the bone, but you confine it to, to the epiphysis of the bone or the area that's kind of uh, uh, away from the growth plate. Um, 
or you can do a procedure where you're not drilling any tunnels, which would be like the IT band ACL procedure. Um, and that, that, those both can protect the growth plate and they're both, they've both been well described. And then in the kids who are pubescent, who have growth remaining, but maybe not so much growth remaining, those kids you typically uh, can, can drill tunnels in the bone but you just need to use a graft that's made of soft tissue because if you take a like, let's say a bone plug from a graft and mm -hmm. fix it across the growth plate that can uh, inhibit their growth and cause you know a limb length deformity uh, limb length discrepancy or like an angular deformity of the limb so so that's kind of how i think about the two groups that still have growth remaining um and, and picking surgical procedures. And does the activity of the child come into play at, when deciding on um, which procedure to do, or is it really just their kind of bony anatomy and age and? Yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly their age and, and skeletal maturity and their developmental mm -hmm. maturity. Um, the sports sometimes come into play when you're deciding whether or not to do a reconstruction, but once you've kind of made the decision to do a reconstruction, you know, which technique you choose is typically um, chosen based on their skeletal maturity. Got it, got it. And then you sort of alluded to this uh, a little bit earlier, talking about the meniscus, but why is the health of the menis meniscus so important in the pediatric ACL patients? So from what I've read, it seems like if there is a bucket handle tear or other repairable meniscus injury, surgery is really warranted. Why is that? Yeah, for sure. So if there's, so the meniscus is pretty precious tissue and it's really the shock absorber of the knee, but it also provides, uh, you know, secondary stability to the knee, um, nourishment of the joint. It provides congruity between the femur and the tibia. And so uh, it's really important to try to save as much meniscal tissue as possible. And then these kids obviously have, you know, quite a long life ahead of them and many have a long athletic career ahead of them. So um, you definitely want to save as much meniscus as possible. So if there's a large, unstable meniscus tear um, and the knee remains unstable, it, it's likely to continue to degenerate. Whereas if you go and stabilize the knee and fix the meniscus, you have the best chance at preserving that tissue and getting it to heal. Yeah, that makes sense. And now for a lot of my listeners who are physical therapists, this is sort of the money question, right? What are yeah. the most important considerations for rehab after these Faisal sparing ACL reconstruction surgeries? Yeah, so, so it's interesting. There's not, there's not like a really strong evidence base um, about like specific things with, with rehab, but I would tell you that kind of the way that I approach it and, kind of in, and in broad generalities, typically the, the, the first six weeks are where there's the biggest difference depending on how the procedure goes. So if, so for me, if it's, let's say, a procedure where you're drilling tunnels and fixing it with implants, you know, those kids can tend to wait there relatively soon. The implants tend to confer a lot of stability to the graft and, and allow the body to heal the graft. If there's a meniscus repair at the time of surgery, I tend to protect the weight bearing for a total of six weeks just to let the meniscus heal. Um, and in, in the kids who end up getting the IT band ACL, because there are no tunnels drilled in the bone and therefore there's no like screws holding the graft in place and the graft tends to be fixed um, to the periosteum of the bone or the skin around the bone with heavy duty suture, um, those kids I tend to protect 
for six weeks, regardless of if they've had a meniscus tear uh, repaired, just because I want to make sure they've started to have some biologic healing of the graft before I let them really bear full weight. So for me, the first six weeks are kind of the most critical portion where if I've done an IT band ACL and I'm kind of relying on on suture for fixation, I tend to protect their weight bearing a little longer. But once they hit about six weeks, for me at least, the um, the rehab tends to progress uh, the same, whereas essentially all kids are kind of started to wean off crutches by six weeks, um, starting to work on strengthening. And then for me, I tend to let kids start to jog around 12 weeks. Um, and then, and from there on, it's pretty similar rehab to the adult t- uh, style rehab. And why with the ACL uh, reconstruction using the IT band, why is no lunging a precaution with this population? Oh, I... Well, I, so where, where I, when I was in training, I, um, some of my mentors would say that they found that kids who do, who load the knee from a flexed position after, after any ACL reconstruction, um, tend to kind of flare the knee up, especially in the early phase. And so I tend to tell kids to avoid, you know, deep lunges and squats early on. Um, so that's just something that I do. I don't know that there's a lot of great uh, evidence for that, but, um, it seems to have worked for some of my mentors, and so I've kind of uh, adopted it into my practice as well. Got it, got it. Yeah, because I read that out of um, out of Boston, right? Is that yes. where? Yes, yes. And okay, so that makes a lot of sense because I often wondered, well, they can jog and run, but they can't squat or they can't lunge, and is that obviously to protect the knee? And to is that also to maybe protect secondary? problems like uh, patellar tendinopathy or something like that, although kids don't usually yeah. do that. Yeah, for sure. So so kids, you know, right after surgery, there is a, a bit of inflammation going on in the knee, and so certainly doing like deep squats and lunges can increase the risk of further inflammation, but mm-hmm. I really do like like um, squats like uh, and leg presses that go down to about 90 degrees of knee flexion. I really, mm-hmm. I really find that those help strengthen the knee without inflaming it too much, but um, you know, the, and the physical therapists that we work with um, uh, tend to tend to do that, and and the patients do pretty well, and they they end up building their strength pretty quickly. Yeah, that makes sense. And now let's talk to a lot of these kids want to return to sport, right? I mean, you're working yep. with these kids all the time, as you know. Their attention spans are a little short, and they're all really excited to get back to sport asap, but. Um, uh, according to the IOC consensus, consensus on pediatric uh, ACL, they recommend uh, waiting 12 months to return to sport. So what is your thought on that? Yeah, I, I would say the short answer is I agree with that completely. Um, I typically mentally prepare kids for a year uh, to return to play. Um, I think that you know, there's really three things you need in order to successfully return back to sport safely. So one is the anatomy, which is really the job of the surgeon and re- reconstructing the anatomy. The other is, you know, strength and balance and coordination, which is um, which is a team effort between the physical therapist and the patient and, and the surgeon as well. And then the third thing is just time. So it just takes about a year for the graft to incorporate and, and mature and remodel and kind of be biologically ready. And I, I think that the hardest part about this surgery is really kind of keeping the kids engaged for a full year. I think kids sometimes hear about some professional athletes who get back to sports sooner than a year. Um, and so they feel like they want to get back sooner than a year. But 
I typically tell families, uh, you know, a couple things. First, first off, the average time to return to sport, even in professional athletes like in the NFL, is about 11 months. So even in pro athletes who have no job other than to rehab their knee, um, you know, they don't have chores and schoolwork and things like that, that, that it's still about a year. Um, and that's, and that's an average. So while they might hear, you know, on the news about people who get back after six or eight months, there's also people who don't get back for 14 or 16 or 18 months. And so even professional athletes, it takes about a year. And then the other thing is that kids are really even higher risk than professional athletes. Cause typically, you know, if there's something about the child's anatomy or their physiology or how they're moving that, that puts them at such high risk that they're going to tear their ACL when they're 11, 12, 13, 15 years old, they're a higher risk patient than the guy who, who, or gal who goes through, you know, high school and college and professional sports before tearing their ACL. They've made it through, let's say, 30 years of life before tearing their ACL. So I tend to try to, con to, to, to kind of work with kids and families and say, you know, look, you're a higher risk than, than a professional athlete, for one. And two, you know, all they do all day is rehab, and it still takes them a year to get back to sports. So I tend to agree with the one-year recommendation. I tend to let kids, just because they're itching to get back, um, I tend to let them do some light practice with their team um, at the beginning of the following season. So, for instance, if, if a kid injures themselves midway through a soccer or football season in the fall, you know, um, usually it's around nine or ten months till the next beginning of the next season, I say that they can do some kind of non-contact practice with their team just so they can stay involved. But mm -hmm. um, I do agree with the one year before they're really kind of on the field or the court competing with other kids. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought up what they see on TV and what they hear or see on social media, because that's something that's so pervasive amongst a lot of these kids. And they think because someone else did it, they should be able to do it too. So um, I thank you for that. And I think that advice uh, to tell the parents and to keep reiterating that to the patient, to the pediatric patient is so important because boy, they just want to every day. It's, well, when can I do this? Well, when can I do that? And being able to keep them, like you said, motivated, but realistic expectations and being honest is a yeah. challenge. Yeah, you're totally right. I think that, and even setting expectations before surgery, it's, it, you know, they, they kind of forget, you know, once their knee starts feeling pretty good around three or six months. But, you know, I think the other important thing is that, you know, what they hear on TV and in social media tends to be the exceptions to the rule rather than mm -hmm. the average. So they hear about the person who gets back to sports at six or seven months, but they don't necessarily hear about the people who take a year and a half to get back to sports in the pros or who don't make it back to sports in the pros. So um, I think, you know, also telling them they're probably getting a bit of a biased view when um, a lot of these kind of news outlets kind of sensationalize people who are getting back quickly. They think it's the norm when actually it's the exception. Absolutely. Yeah, I just had this conversation the other day about what a bell curve is. Yeah. And how some people are on one side, some people are on the other, but most people are in the middle. And to really yep. keep that in mind when you see these big extremes. So now, is there anything else that you would like to add as far as, uh, let's say, speaking to physical therapists or people who are going to be working with your patients? Um, anything that you, anything else you would like to add as far as the pediatric ACL patient is concerned? Um, not, not really. I think we really kind of touched upon all the uh, the important topics. Um, I think it's just important to 
um, understand a lot, a lot of, a lot of people are be really beginning to realize that, you know, kids aren't just small adults and they're, they, they're, 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 they have their own unique considerations, both with the surgery and in the rehab and in the kind of mental preparedness for sports. And so, um, I always really enjoy uh, working with therapists who, who enjoy working with kids and, and engaging kids because it's, it's, it's not just that the surgery and even that the exercises are different. It's the whole kind of mindset and, and the approach. And, and so when the whole team is on, on the same page, it's always, it's always really rewarding. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out. And where can people find more about you if they would like to know more about you and what you do and have any questions? Yeah. So I, I practice at the hospital for special surgery, so they can go to um, the hospital for special Surgery's website, which is hss.edu. They can, uh, uh, look me up on that website, uh, or they can uh, Google search uh, my name at HSS, and uh, we're here and happy to uh, take care of our, our youth athletes who get injured. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And everyone else, thank you so much for listening. Have a great couple of days, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.